Welcome to the Big Sis Pod. This year, we've become a weekly podcast. That's right. You asked for more and we listened. Here's your host and founder of Big Sis Australia, Karen Mason. The more this topic comes up, the more I get sincerely upset for the next generation coming through the ranks of our society. As adults, we are coping the best that we can with porn being everywhere that we look nowadays and the complex ramifications that it causes for our own self-worth and our relationships. So the problems are endless and it is time to start talking about them before we really lose control. And on this week's podcast episode, Kimberly Smith, a pastor, author and speaker, joins us to explain why even the church is speaking openly to our teenagers about relationships and sexuality. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. Thank you so much for coming in. You know just as much as I do how passionate we are about this because Mm. it's not getting spoken about enough Mm. and it is time. Yeah, it is. I agree. So thanks for having me. Okay, so tell us about your story and why you're so passionate about this. Yeah, well, I've been in Generations Ministry for over 16 years. So that generation's been kids, youth, families, young adults, and really engaging in that space. And around that same time, um, 16 years ago, my marriage came to an end. And without going into all the specific details of that, needless to say, um, it led me on a journey to understand a lot more about pornography and sexual addiction and the impact of that. And so together with my personal experience and then also working with a lot of young people who I was just increasingly seeing the wrestle they were doing with issues of sexuality and identity and relationship and just that sense that they have of... um, how porn and issues of sexuality impact on their lives. And, you know, my desire is to see young people flourish, to see them make great choices, and increasingly realising that you have to address issues of sexuality, relationship, identity, for them to be able to do that, because they're so integral to who we are as people. Mm, I totally agree. So it must be quite interesting to outsiders looking in that the church is now talking about this. So you're really breaking that sealed section for the church. How's that going? (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. I'm I'm that person going Mm, there. Well done. I I think, you know, as Christians, we believe that God created us with intentionality and purpose and that sexuality is part of that and it it actually can't be separated from who we are as people. And so it's his design, you know, that we are sexual beings, that we are relational beings, that we seek fulfillment in one another and in expressing and receiving love and, and experiencing intimacy with others. And so I think, you know, as people who would be wanting to honor God's design for us and to experience his best, we would have the utmost honour and handle with the greatest sensitivity and dignity and respect the topics of sexuality. But I think the church has struggled to know how to engage with that because the culture and society of sexuality is so messy and dysfunctional in so many ways that Mm. I think the church maybe has kind of stepped back and didn't want to get entangled in that and they've tried to keep a separation but as a result have have really distanced themselves probably unhealthily and have allowed the voice of culture to be so much louder. You know, I just 
wholeheartedly believe that to live our best, you know, most energizing, life-giving experience and expression of sexuality and the healthiest relationships, we need to honor them so much more, you know, and honor others so much more than we are. And I think the church is really embracing the need to speak into that space and to be part of the conversation and to give an alternate narrative to what we're hearing, you know, through media and culture. Mm. And it's not just, we can't just say, oh, the church has shied away because everyone has this is including yeah. parents, and this True. is why we really need to be getting this out there, whether it's for the teenagers themselves or also the parents taking some ownership as well yeah. and going, hey, we can't just keep shoving that under the carpet anymore because this is real. Yeah. And I find a lot of parents, they think, oh, it's okay. I've got it all under control. They're only on this site and this site. But yeah. we have lost control when it comes to the technology yeah, that's and what our kids see. And also I think for parents, it's just for my generation, our generations, the the generation of parents that are around now, I don't know that we had a lot of great input from our parents and our elders. And because it was sort of, you'll get married and you'll have sex and you'll have babies and, you know, you work it out. It's not that hard. The game has changed though, hasn't it? And so I think Mm. too, for adults, you know, trying to bridge that gap or have those conversations, often it's having to deal with a lot of their own regret or their own embarrassment or their own dysfunction or their own lack of knowledge around issues of sexuality that makes it hard for them to step into that conversation because Mm. they're like, I don't know that I did a great job of being a teenager. I don't know how to help you be a great teenager in this space. And so they sort of step back when they really need to be stepping in. So with these conversations that you're having, are they mainly with teenagers or overall age brackets? Yeah, all age brackets. So I love the opportunity to engage with young people directly, but also to encourage parents and leaders in how they engage with young people as well. Because for me to come in to have one conversation, obviously, is not going to be as effective as empowering parents to have an ongoing conversation with their kids or for for those leaders, teachers, people who find themselves in positions of influence in a teenager's life, that they feel empowered and equipped to speak into this sphere and um, and not shy away from having those conversations, either of accountability and how you're going, what do you, where are you online, you know, where are you, what kind of conversations are you part of, what activity are you up to, or but also to be pastoral in that and and to be caring for people in terms of their mental health and their emotional health. How are you responding to the hurts that you're experiencing, or the dysfunction that you're witnessing, or the the things that are putting pressure on you from the outside, you know? Just, I think there's a lot of encouragement to be given to adults who are in that that environment and have that position of authority and, and influence in the lives of young people. What are the main concerns when you're having these conversations? What are their main concerns in today's society yeah. around sex and yeah. porn and staying away from it? I think you touched on the, the really big one, which is around social media and, and the online space. I think there is a, a little bit of a sense that it's just too big to manage and too big to control and it's sort of this unknown monster that's sort of coming at us, you know, and we don't know which from which angle and how to deflect it. So I think particularly from adults, I think that's a fear, you know, that is part of the conversation. I don't know how to help. I don't know every time I learn a new social media platform, there's a new social media platform. You know, I thought I'd worked out how to Instagram and now there's Snapchat and I thought I knew how to Snapchat and now they're hiding apps in calculator, you know, interfaces, all those sorts of challenges Mm -hmm. that parents have. But I think for young people, there is an increasing pressure. Um, And again, social media becomes a platform for this, but it didn't cause it. You know, it's just the expression of it, but of engaging in a much more sexually 
mature, I guess, although it's quite immature, but, you mm. know, engaging beyond their years, yes. you know, that, it, that the influence is hitting younger and younger or the the challenge is there and the language is, is part of the vernacular in younger and younger ages. And so we're talking, I mean, varying reports have varying statistics, but first exposure to pornography is happening as young as 10, nine-year-old mm. that are seeing things that they're just not mentally developed and mature enough to understand. And then they're interacting with them before they are really understanding what they mean. And so we talk now about a person's first sexual encounter, you know, used to be a kiss behind the shelter shed, but now it's more likely to be to view porn, which mm. is going to be at a much higher level of explicity <laughs> than in terms of... Um, what is being shown there than than perhaps what we might have experienced as kids ourselves. Mm. Well, something that I've heard around the traps, and, you know, we are getting a little bit explicit here, but apparently the younger guys, their teenage boys, are saying to their girlfriend or a girl of interest, if you go down there for me first, mm. I will reward you with a kiss. Yeah. So yeah. it just shows how backwards yeah. it all is now. Yeah. And it is very scary. Yes, it is. And that trading of sexual favour for relationship. And I think that just taps into, again, one of our innate, you know, created needs, which is for relationship and intimacy. And so sexuality leverages off that, you know, where I will approve of you if you do something sexual for me. And so there, it becomes a currency, mm. which it was never meant to be. Like, that's the commodification of sexuality is when it we trade it for something else that we actually need, which is belonging and acceptance and a sense of approval from others. So what kind of advice have you got for anyone listening now that's also concerned, whether it's an example of what's happening with you when you're having these conversations? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when we're talking about navigating this highly sexualized culture, you you want to be, I think, dialing up the sense of awareness. I, and I think as adults, you know, particularly, we need to not be stepping back, but stepping in, reading, listening, watching, you know, interfacing with those who are experts in the field so that we are well prepared for those kind of conversations, but also to start actually calling out and identifying what we see in culture and helping our young people to be much better at interpreting translating, discerning culture. Mm. I mean, I talk about culture as being, it's the water we swim in. And, um, you know, that adage about how do you boil a frog? You just put it in cold water and gradually heat it up. Because if you threw a frog into hot water, he would jump straight out. But he, I'm not sure why we need to boil frogs, but it's yes, a thing, right? Yes. Um, I am vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> but I know no, you're <laughs> But that whole idea that we are swimming in water that has just got gradually hotter in terms of sexuality. And so I think we kind of need to stop and go, wait, the temperature's changed. Let's identify that. Like, let's look at what's feeding that and have some conversations about it. So there's a lot of people doing some great work online, even in how we interact with media and advertising to start saying, you know, I don't think it's appropriate that that image would be used to try and sell something that's completely unrelated to that image, you know, that to be walking through shopping centres and seeing pictures and to be helping our young people to go, wait, that's wrong, isn't it? And actually pointing it out, like, what's the wrong with this picture? Well, the ladies advertise 
advertising Ugg boots, but she has no clothes on. Like, so she's standing in a freezing cold environment trying to tell us how warm the Ugg boots are, but she's got no, well, this is stupid. Like, that doesn't make sense. Mm. And we I love need that to be, questioning that you, that you could do that. discernment, yeah. Mm. And just, like, just, why is that lady, and it's often ladies, but mm. men too, you know, why is it necessary for them to be unclothed to advertise that perfume or to advertise that food item or whatever it is? Because when you start thinking like that, it's actually ridiculous, the types of things we use sex to sell, essentially. And I think calling that out, not just walking past that and letting that just hit a young person's brain and just become part of the water that they're swimming in, but just to say, stop, what's that? Like, mm. what's that all about? Does that make sense to you? Or, And even in how you're hearing children or young people talk about conversations they're having you know, with their peers, helping them stop and just identify what is true about that? Is that healthy and wholesome? Is that the way we should be speaking about somebody? Is that what we should be trading off for friendships? You know, helping them discern and not be just mindlessly kind of just floating through, you know, Mm. and and going with the current, I guess, of that to keep that analogy going. But Mm. um, because there's so much hypocrisy in our society around this topic, I think, you know, you see universally our culture condemns rape and violence against women as it ought. You people stand on the steps of courtrooms and, you know, yell for justice, but yet the number one search in pornography um, genres is around violence, rape, lack of consent. I know. Like that is ridiculously incongruent. Yeah. yeah. And so but we need to call that out. Mm. We need like when someone's standing on the steps of a of a courtroom, we need to say, so are you for women and for healthy relationships everywhere, man? Or, mm. or is it just here? You know? Because yeah. we need to be making sure that we're we're not just feeding this hypocrisy of of what we say as opposed to what we do, because eventually what we're accepting in private, and that's what is feeding our rape culture and our, our violence culture and is this sense of the normalising of those things as being entertainment or acceptable or even desirable by women. You know, know. it's a lot of a lot of um, miscommunication that's happening. And I'd like to add to that because the thing is with the porn industry, it started off a lot softer and mm. it's gotten to this disgusting point where we're at today because yeah. they are all competing. All the porn companies yeah. are competing against one another because of the demand. So if they up a notch, then the other people have to up the notch. Yeah. And so that just means more and more gruesome stuff happening mainly to women. Yeah. 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 And because of the addictive nature of porn, and we're seeing a lot of medical studies in this area, both in physical health and mental health, and you know, brain science that tells us that porn is as addictive as any drug. And as is the case with drugs, you need more and more of it every yeah. time. So yep. the first hit, you know, you only need a little bit, a little high, a little buzz. But every time you go back to that, there's a desensitizing that happens or a fatiguing almost that happens of your brain chemistry that means we need more. And so porn is like that. You know, mm. the first time it just needs partial nudity and more nudity and more, Correct. you know, demonstration and greater you know intensity, which always leads to this violent, dominating abuse that it's just horrific, as you say. And also in the medical field, we're seeing reported that that is being mirrored in the health presentation of, of young women, particularly like with complications due to rough sexual mm. activity that guys have seen in porn and it looks like it's they pleasurable it's normal, yeah. and it, for the woman because that's mm. the woman's job in pornography is mm. to look like that has been enjoyable, mm. even if it's been quite degrading or physically abusive. Exactly. And so doctors are, are reporting cases of 
14, 15-year-old girls presenting with horrific internal injuries as a result of this. And so it does mirror what's happening, you know, in that private behind-the-scenes space comes out into our general culture and our general experience. Exactly. And I've seen a documentary on women that have removed themselves from the industry Mm. and you could just see it in their heart and their soul. It's destroyed because they look at an image that they have performed and just feel sick and remember how painful or shameful it was. And it's because we've perpetuated the lie Mm. that your sexuality is separate to you as Mm. in your identity. And I think... You know, we've suggested that sex is just a physical exchange, but it's more than that. You know, mm. it is an emotional one. It is a spiritual one. It's a it's a biological one. There's a whole lot of research about what happens in the act of intimacy and physical intimacy that even if it doesn't feel like an act of intimacy, your body is engaging in it like it is. And so then there's brokenness and shame and hurt and wounding and regret that comes out of that. But we're feeding the lie that that's not meant to be your experience. You're meant to be able to just engage in sex mindlessly and just fulfill the needs of your physical self mm. without any implication in any other way. And it's not true. Yeah. Or for the partner yeah. and not even for yourself yeah. most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Look, I could go on about that for mm. hours. I think we'll go and have to have a coffee yeah, and, right. and continue this conversation. <laughs> but so let's go back to, I guess, also with the censorship laws nowadays, we've really lost control. And so I think that this is where it's important to understand either as a parent or whoever is needing to start thinking about this seriously, it's now our job to teach Mm. the kids Mm. the censorship. So what you're saying, back at the shopping centre, what's that image? Because we can't rely on, you know, TV used to do it for us. It was after 8.30, you know, the kids are in bed, but it's on their phone Mm. at nine in the morning at lunchtime when they're at school. So we've got to start thinking about, hey, there's no such thing as censorship laws anymore. Yes, and it's dependent on our own self-censorship, which young people aren't great at Mm. um, because they don't understand the long-term consequences of what they're choosing in the moment. But I had a conversation with a parent of a a six-year-old who had asked her, what's porn? You know, and she's like, oh, how do I answer that question? I was hoping Mm. not to have to deal with this. But my basic answer to that was porn is the depiction of something that should be done in private, in public. And if we just work on that as a basic premise, that's a good starting place for young people is don't be looking at things on your phone that we close the door for at home. Mm. Why would we want to watch them on a screen, you know, mm. that that sense of privacy, you know, that and intimacy in privacy. And um, I think as we keep talking about what porn is and why we would be against porn, mm. it's like it's just no one else's business to be watching anybody else engage in sexual intimacy. That's not what it's designed. It's not a spectator sport. You know, mm. we shouldn't be turning it into one. So I think that's part of a conversation that we can be having. I think also the general thing is that we ought to be looking to raise the intolerance for porn, you know, or for sexuality as it's demonstrated in unhealthy and inappropriate ways. And so to do that, you know, we need to increase our awareness of the impact of porn. You know, I know in one of the church environments I was part of, our young adult men spoke to teenage boys and, you know, one of the prevailing comments they made was, if I could go back and not watch that first thing, I wouldn't have watched it. Like, Mm -hmm. if I could change anything, I wouldn't have opened that first click. Wow. You know, that because 
because they look back and just see that that's the pathway that led them to where they are and the struggle that they're having now um, and the dysfunction it's meant in their relationships, the shame and the guilt and the the wrestle that they've done with it. You know, if I could do one thing. I, and so I think that was so powerful for those young mm. guys to hear it from other young guys, they, you know, just slightly older, but that they respect. Mm. But we need to keep talking about like, it's not as glamorous as it seems, guys. Like I know it sounds appealing, but it, it just isn't. And, mm. you know, girls, I know that it feels like it touches a need in your heart, but it's really not, you know, it's just taking you away from what you actually are desiring. And that's, you know, the relational intimacy that we all seek. And so I think we've got to increase our awareness of the impact, you know, the dysfunction that comes out of that. Um, I think we need to keep building a really healthy picture of sexuality, because I think you can't just say, don't use porn and then not give an alternative. Like if that's bad sex, what's good sex? Like you can't exist in a void. Of course. You know, you have to feel that, like, take the porn out. Well, what are you going to put in? Well, Mm. let's talk about healthy relationships. Let's talk about honouring each other's sexuality. Let's talk about how we don't objectify one another and Mm. how we make sure that we're always speaking and treating one another as humans, not as objects. Yes. And the connection, you know, like eye to eye connection, whereas a lot of the other acts online, there's no eye gazing. Yeah, there's no no personal intimacy. Mm. So, But we have to keep taught, and that's the challenge. And I know it can be awkward, but I think that's what we have to do the work on as adults particularly, is being comfortable to speak in a really positive way about sexuality. And in this case, it's not always the parents that are the best persons for that because we don't cope very well with thinking about our parents having sex. Yes. So yeah. we don't necessarily want to hear that through their experience, but we do. they can actually feed into what it means to honour women, you know, what it means, like a dad watching TV and encouraging a guy to turn away from an image rather than, well, like check her out. Yes. Or, you know, th- these kind of things are so valuable. Mm. I, I have a conversation with a male friend who he and his um, young adult son, as a general habit, they'll fast forward sex scenes in any show they watch. And it's just what they do, you know, oh, because it's like, okay, they have sex. We know that. Mm. It's not pivotal to the plot line. They're probably not exchanging, you know, trade secrets in the bedroom. Mm. That's just for our titillation. So we'll just skip that, keep going with the storyline. But I what a great that. thing that teaches yes. his son. And, and, you know, years ago, like, you know, say 20, 30 years ago at the movie cinema, they just kissed and the lights yeah. went out. And yeah. that's all we needed. Yeah, we know right. what happened. Okay, happily ever after. Correct. Got it. <laughs> but yeah. this is the problem. It's yeah. been sneaking in even in the mainstream yeah. movies. Yeah. yeah. And I think, too, when it comes to technology, the language I advocate is we have to value the protection of our kids over their right to privacy. It is far more important that we are protecting kids from things they can't process at their age that they can't understand, that they can't navigate in healthy, wise ways, much more so than any angst we might get. Oh, it's my phone. It's my thing. You can't tell. You know, No, you can't look at this. Well, your privacy is less important to me than protecting you from what damage could come as you get into spaces that you just are not equipped to handle. And, and I think that can actually be a really honouring conversation that, like, I love you too much to let you go where you can't come back from. You know, I love you too much to put you at risk. And I know this feels like I'm being, you know, a nag or a, a meanie or whatever, but I, I love you too much. I'm happy to be the meanie because I want to protect you. I think that has to be part of our conversation because we advocate the right for children to have privacy. And I don't know that that's 
our parental or adult responsibility is to protect that over protecting them. Mm. I think that comes first. And as we raise that level of intolerance, as we keep talking about how distasteful it is that pornography is so accepted, as we you know have those conversations about media and advertising and and the water, you know, the temperature that's around us, I think as we keep raising that intolerance, that motivates us towards education because we get like you are, you know, like I am, you yeah. get sort of fired up about no, I don't want anybody to have to experience this. I don't want anyone to fall into that trap. I don't want anyone to be abused, exploited, broken by this. And so it fuels you to push past any of that discomfort or awkwardness because the passion is there, that intolerance drives us to want to better for our kids and better for the next generation. Oh, wow. Love it. That's Um, such great advice. And I know everyone listening has just picked up some really handy tips. So thank you, Kimberly. So for anyone that wants a bit more information, so from other areas, obviously they can go to church and talk to some pastors that are open to discuss Mm -hmm. this, including yourself. But are there any other groups like websites you were saying? There are some. Yeah, I would highly recommend particularly for parents and adults that are working with young people. Fight the New Drug is a website that is strongly advocating in this area. Lots of research that they present in really clearly understandable ways, um, stories of survivors from the industry or people who are wrestling with addiction. And they also offer an addiction recovery program that's free through that website as well. So wow. um, Fight the New Drug, a brilliant, brilliant resource. Melinda Tankard-Reist is a lady in Australia that's doing a lot of work, particularly in the, the research space, but also in advocacy. She and others are part of an organisation called Collective Shout, which do a lot of advocacy work around media and and they do campaigns to remove certain advertising and certain things. Currently, they're in a big fight with wicked campers. I don't know if you've seen any of the media around that, about these in- incredibly oh, yes. sexualised slogans that around they have Around Byron there. Bay, they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's Collective Shout or Melinda Tankard-Reese. And the other is the eSafety Commission, which is a, a government organisation, but they have again, done an incredible amount of work and they have great awareness around what's happening in the the social media online space. But they're also able to provide a lot of resources for um, recovering images that have been sent out and and getting them removed from the internet or helping to deal with online bullying or unwanted interactions and and also a lot of information about apps and hidden apps and some of the things that are happening there. So that's a great place to go to as well. All right. Well, thank you so much again for all of this knowledge. I've just learned learned plenty of things. And if you are looking for some more information from Kimberly, you can find her on her website, which is KimberlySmith.org, if you're wanting to continue the conversation. Mm. Let's go and have coffee and keep talking about this, Kimberly. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks for your time. Thank you. If you loved one of our Big Sis episodes, why not share it with one of your friends or family members? It's all about sharing the love and sharing the knowledge. Thanks for being so amazing.